Hello and welcome to another episode of the Create Magic Podcast. This is another creative weirdo segment where I talk to my art and weirdo friends about all kinds of fun stuff. And today we have the amazing Robin Banks. Robin is one of my favorite artists currently working and we get into all kinds of stuff from technical art things and silk screening and punk music to consciousness, what happens after death and all kinds of weirdo paranormal stuff. So definitely stick around to the end. This is a long, really fun conversation that I think y'all are going to really dig. I'm going to have links to all of Robin's work and fun stuff below because you definitely should go support all of the beautiful work Robin's putting into the world. So thank you for listening to these. I'll also have a link to the Patreon and the shop if you want to check any more of my stuff out. And yeah, I can't wait for y'all to hear this. So without further ado, here we go. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Uh, talking about going to Japan for a couple days and the differences in culture and uh, the uh, the emphasis on attention and being in the moment of what you're doing is one of the things that like I think is missing a lot of the times and a lot of the stuff we experience and you were just I mean you just kind of uh, hit on that really well could you uh, talk about that again yeah yeah totally yeah I was just saying that that one of the things that we noticed one of the largest cultural differences was was the attention to i guess like quality and and enjoyment where here it's just a lot of quantity <laughs> and that results in a lot of waste um but yeah i i don't know i i think that's sort of how i i would phrase at least just what i experienced over there like for instance, we went uh, to. Do you know uh, Bear Pond Espresso? Yeah. Oh my I, God! We went over there and we we got the angel stain, and uh, um and it was unbelievable. That that was the best coffee I've ever had. But just watching him like work the machine because he like tweaks his whole entire machine to make this drink, the angel stain, happen, and when he is done, when he feel like when he feels like it's run its course, like that's it. There's no more angel stain the rest of the day. And yep. I think I, I saw him serve like seven people that. And then uh, my partner went up to ask for it. And he was like, I'm, I'm done serving that for the day. Where here, the approach would very be like, oh, you want to spend money? Like, uh, whether or not it's good, like, <laughs> we're, we're going to get money from this transaction. And yeah. uh, I just, I don't know. It was so well, great. Even more over the approach would be how do we grow this? Like how do we multiply totally. this? How do we make it like that's like that's the part that becomes almost kind of disturbing in a way. But that's like that mentality of letting things be for the time they're supposed to be is just beautiful. And like I, I think seeing it in coffee culture around the world is something that like you don't think about normally. Did you was there yeah. anything else over there that stuck out to you in that way? Like as far as your experience with food or just uh, any of the other culture while you were there? Um, yeah, I think that just that the attention to like detail and the level of care um, put into almost anything 
just really, really surpassed what you usually yeah. see in America. Of course, we have exceptions, but I would say overwhelmingly, the difference there was was really great. Like going to to vintage shops, and and uh, I love buying like '60s like shirts and stuff like that, or or toys or whatever, and and everything was like clean, like straight out of the box. Like wow. I, I would put on a shirt, and it would be like it was made yesterday. That's and amazing. We just trash everything over yeah. here it's so wild <laughs> there is i mean something... i trash everything over no here. well dude i, I will was... buy comics and they will be destroyed in in two months well and rob there's something to trash culture and the beauty of it like there really is i mean like i am a garbage person in a very loving way to myself if totally. that makes sense like i and i think i've seen you talk about similar things and like just i love like i mean i grew up on fast food and and cheap comics and just stuff that that in the time doesn't seem like it has that lasting value but like it really does it's just a different type of lasting value but there's there's something to be said to taking care uh, like especially as I get older I'm like I wish I had more of that in me where I just took care of everything and like made it last and like there's <laughs> the less wasteful side of things is definitely very important to uh, think about was that your yeah. first time traveling in that part of the world that was my first time traveling outside of the country except for when Amazing. i lived in canada so That's it was awesome. uh, it was it was a, a huge huge difference and it was really incredible and i want to do it again just i don't know it was one of them things where like by i don't know by the time we had like three more days left we were like oh i understand how the train system works like <laughs> everything just started this. to like click and you're like fuck we got three more days mm -hmm. like i'm it's just finally occurring to me how to like i don't know communicate and how to yeah. how to use the city and like where things are at where you're at orientation everything like that but i don't know it gives me something to look forward to more time to to work on speaking japanese better cuz i only had maybe three months to gear up for that and and got laughed at a few times for <laughs> trying to speak Japanese, but yeah. But that's awesome. You went for it. I mean, that like uh, as your first venture out of the country or off the continent, that's a huge one. I I, I respect that. <laughs> I've never incredible. Yeah, that's got to just be uh, uh, mind expanding in general. Like those are the type of things that like I I think about with my kids and I'm like, I want to give that to my kids. Like I want to take them to Japan and be like, see this? Like that's the type of stuff that like people get uh, that lifelong thing out of, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, just just seeing different walks of life, different ways to live life. I think is so important and, and you're right especially as a kid um i i know it's not this way for for your kids but maybe you experienced this growing up but i felt like so much of my growing up was like you can either go this way or you can go this way mm -hmm. if you don't work hard in school then then you're going to be flipping burgers <laughs> totally. and if you if you don't live this lifestyle if you don't like live a you know specific like christian lifestyle then you're going to be addicted to drugs and your whole life's going to go down the drain and it, everything's yeah. presented of that. So I think it is, yeah, like really, really healthy to see that there's just this huge minutia of ways to, to live and to be, and that yeah. people have been doing it forever. 
No, that's absolutely true. That's something that uh, me and Allie talk about a lot with regards to the kids, just making sure that they know that there's a million different, like nothing that's happening. It's one of those things that you can't actually tell the kids because it's hard to put into words, but like you want to tell them that nothing that's happening right now actually matters, but it all matters a lot. Like, you know what I yeah, mean? Like totally. it really, like what is happening to my five-year-old in kindergarten really isn't going to set his path or anything, but like, it's also really important that he goes to kindergarten and that he socializes and that he like has those big moments and like, you know, he gets picked on for the first time. He picks on someone else for the first, like all of that stuff is important that it happens. It sucks that it has to happen kind of <laughs> like, it's one of those things yeah. that's like that dualism of being a human that like, you know, it is part, but like at the same time, it's going, I know it's going to be a way better experience than what I experienced. And I think that's, I think that would make my parents feel good. Like knowing that I can, give my kid a better experience in that way of not just being like yeah I mean my parents were I my I was raised like you go to college there's no option like you go to college or there's like nothing else happens and I'm yeah, still yeah. in a lot of debt for my associates oh, no. degree. yeah so yeah sorry. I only I'm went so through glad the... I didn't listen to anybody on that <laughs> no you I you win I had that Catholic uh got gotta make the mom happy uh thing growing up you know and yeah I yeah. definitely like I I got my associate's degree and then was like, I'm done. Uh, I can't no more. This doesn't make any sense. And like, it's funny because on paper, like my mom would be like, well, you have an associate's degree in illustration. And what do you do for a living? And I'm like, yeah, but you understand that that piece of paper has nothing like how I got to support a family through via illustration was by being a nice person and doing it for a long time, like doing it for yeah. 10 like that came like almost 15 years after my associate's degree. And as I was oh, telling man. you earlier, I got the opportunity because of my partner working for a company and me being able to like be nice to the people that work there and like build a relationship with them. And like, it really doesn't have much to do with that piece of paper that says I did something for two years. It's not useless for, you know, it depending on what you want to do with your life, it can be, it's not the only option I think is. And I uh, think it depends on how, how you approach art, like the way that you and I did it, it seems a little more organic, but mm -hmm. I definitely know people like there's a school out here called Weber that has a really good art program because they set you up to be like a business and an uh, artist. That's where pretty cool. The U of U that's over here is just like, here's how you do it. I like here's yeah. Bill, but but Weber, all the people I know that have come out of that, like they have a really keen understanding of like, here's how I build a brand. Here's how I get into like art museums. Here's how I like establish clients. Uh, just all of all of the business aspect that I think everyone That's else has cool. missed. And do they like curate that? Like if you say you want to be an illustration major, they have like, here's how you get a client list for an illustrator. Or if you want it, to go into the fine arts, like it's curated like that. It That's really, really seems smart. like it. Yeah. That's so cool. That would have been useful. I didn't get any of that. My, uh, yeah, my, my experience was very much like I was the only one paying for the school. It seemed like every everyone else was partying, and I was like, "But this, I have this costs a lot of money." I'm trying, and then it was oh, just no. not very. It was one of those like I had a various. I was in a touring band at the time. I had like I was in. A, I had a very established social scene, so I was not one of the what kids. What band going were you in? College. It was called the Headies, or still is called the Headies. I guess we're still a band oh, okay. technically. 
technically. But yeah, nice. we uh we never did too. We we went across the country a couple times, put out a couple records, but like nothing too crazy. And we still play and record and stuff, but like been slowed down a lot since the kids and, and everything. But yeah, I, yeah. I had like not good i was not going to college for a social setting where most of the kids that i was in school with seemed like they were going to expand their social setting which is fine like that's a part of what college is supposed to be about so i get it but yeah. it was definitely one of those things that yeah i did not uh, i could have got here without the 40 grand in debt or whatever it is oh, for sure yeah oh man such is life so where did you grow up at uh, I, I grew up kind of all over the place. Uh, so I've lived here. I've lived in California. I was born in Washington. I lived in uh, Canada for a year. I lived in North Dakota for seven years. Wow. I've, I've been all over. Mo- all mostly over. just the West, though. That's cool. And was that just a whole bunch of different life travelings that, that took you all those places or just? Uh, my dad worked for immigration. So when he would get a promotion, it was because there was like a spot opening at like another port of entry or something like that. So, you know, when he would see like those available, he would apply and basically always get them. So literally like every one to two years we were moving. How was that? Uh, It really sucked (laughs) Uh, (laughs) as a kid because like, well, I don't know. At the time, it felt like it sucked because I would cultivate, you know, relationships with friends. And then we'd have like a big sit down and be like, hey, we're going to be moving in a month. And I'm like, dude, I just (laughs) I just like made friends and like I finally feel like something's happening here. But other times it was good. Like, I don't know it's kind of bittersweet, like like some of the times in North Dakota, like those small towns were not the friendliest places. Like totally. I have fond memories of it, but I also have really shitty memories of like being bullied and mm-hmm. things like that and being like, thank God we're yeah. fucking moving on from here. <laughs> that's a, I, that's I a good think point. That, I think that that led to, um, I don't know, just feeling really individualistic and having a, a more individualistic approach to things for better or yeah. for worse, because in, in ways that can not be healthy, but in ways it is. And I think that it led me to push myself more than I would have if I was just like hanging out with my friends all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Were you making art that whole time? Like, were you a drawler from the get-go type kid or did that come I was, later? I was, um, my mom does art. So I, I grew up around it all, all of the time. Amazing. And like, like one of my first memories is, is drawing. Um, and I was probably three like drawing on a post-it note and and I remember it. Um, but then I I fell away from it like later on and then ended up coming back to it. Like I was really serious about it in like fifth grade and sixth grade, but by the time like seventh grade hit and I all like I discovered punk yeah. and all I wanted to do was just fuck shit up. <laughs> um, then I wasn't so into it, but then friends started making bands and I was like drawing like fan art for their bands and they're mm-hmm. like oh like this can be a tape cover and whatever and it just like led me back into it that's awesome which uh which do you remember which town you were living in when you got into the punk stuff uh i i was in salt lake by then salt i moved lake, here okay. when i was 11 cool that's awesome that's a good town to get into the funk scene at and where did you ever play in bands or were you just kind of going to shows and doing the flyers and artwork and stuff 
Yeah, I I played in a bunch of bands. I I don't know how to play anything, but punk is a is a yeah, great place for people who don't know how to play to play. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I was in a bunch of bands, and and yeah, that's that was the start of me like taking art seriously, and also establishing like those connections, like you talk about with just being nice to people and yeah. leading you to like doing more art, where totally. you're like oh fuck I gotta like book all these shows and like we need flyers and so I was making flyers which led me to like eventually people being like hey I really like your flyers will you do a a tour poster for us and then yes I don't know then asking for opportunities after that like um the the big like breakthrough thing for me was uh I asked Asian Man Records if they needed a poster for like this festival that they were doing at one point and they said yes and it blew my mind that that they would allow me to do that. And I did a terrible job at it because I fucking <laughs> choked, but, uh, that's, that's what you're going to do with your first that's, big gig. You're, you're going to choke and, and that's and okay. It, and they were really sweet about it. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's that confidence you get just from getting the green light on something like that. Like the end result of the project almost doesn't matter. Like, it's just that, like, yeah. you know, you feel a little bit more like, Oh, you feel like you can ask for the next job or get that next get that next connection did you uh do do you think that like that um kind of figure it out and just make it happen aesthetic like impacted your art too as far as like the way that you're kind of I mean obviously you have a very distinct style do you think that comes from some of that punk influence as well Yes, drastically. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, but it's something I think you like. Do, do you do you come from punk too? I kind oh, of yeah. vibe that you do. Okay, yeah, totally. It we seems we like have it. exactly the same story where I just stopped drawing until I got into playing in bands and learned how to silk screen and like. Yeah. Someone had to make the shirts. Well, someone had no. to make the crap. Oh, is it doing okay? That mug's beautiful. Okay, I think it's good. Um, oh, thank you. I'm drinking yes. uh, drinking your coffee right now. Wonderful, the black honey. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's that's so a really good. good one. The Las Lajas is like one of the best coffee peoples, and like they're the sweetest, sweetest people, and they just make the best honey and natural coffees in Costa Rica. They're they're great, great folks. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. But yeah, um, I definitely came out of the punk scene as well. Like every that's where I met Allie, who, you know, I have a family with. Like everything I yeah. have is from the punk scene. Like that is the number one thing. Yeah. Like, like my education not only came from that as far as like how to do stuff and just make things happen. Cause like I think I I don't I can't speak for you, but like I was the same way where I was really into it until like fifth or sixth grade. And then there was a bunch of people that were way better than me at like technically drawing. Yeah. Like they could totally. draw Wolverine way better than I could draw Wolverine or they could draw yeah. Bart Simpson way better than I could draw Bart Simpson. And I was like, okay, maybe this isn't the thing for me and kind of got a little discouraged. And then I, so I got really into Green Day and from Green Day, I found Pinhead Gunpowder and Aaron Comet Buses yeah, artwork. Same. And I was like, this is the most beautiful artwork I've ever seen. And I got into comic book, like his zines. And I was like, Oh, this is what I want to make. Like, this is what I like. Like I can't write like this, but I can make things that are this like raw. And like, it it just kind of conveyed that thing where like, uh, you know, craft isn't everything. Like it's way more about just putting stuff out there because 90% of people aren't going to do something. So if you just do it, you're already like 10 steps ahead. But uh, yeah, so I definitely, the immediacy of stuff like that is what took me back to comics to be honest like where was com did you read comics from a young age 
<laughs> you know what? Uh, I, I'm kind of a poser when it comes to all of that stuff. I have always been like a very aesthetics first person. Me like I'll, I'll say that I, I love Scooby-Doo or like I love comics and stuff, but in all honesty, I would just flip through and look at the pictures and just think about like, how did they do this? Like totally. it looks so good. And then there were comics where they didn't look so good. As far as the <laughs> stories, I didn't really give a fuck. Like people will be like, oh, you're really into like, I don't know, like a, a sci-fi comic or like uh, this this kind of comic or that. And they'll talk to me about the lore behind it. I don't, I don't know. I yeah. don't give a shit. But yeah. the way that it looks, I'm obsessed with thinking about how they did that, how they came up with that. Yeah. But yeah, also same with, uh, with the punk. Um, not just drawing me back to it because of, uh, necessity for making flyers but also yeah that that immediacy thing of just being like yeah people can maybe do this kind of thing technically better but uh but it's like that the passion and the immediacy is so much important so much yeah. more important than that i think that resonates with the comic art though because like yeah it, you know like it, it the stuff that like uh, re really resonates with me and i think uh resonates with you as well like the early 50s and 60s like whether it's the ec uh guys like yeah. all of those dudes were defining a language like there wasn't a language of comics like that before they were like they were inventing the wheel more or less and they yeah. were like they were looked as at as garbage people for doing it like they were like the most disrespected artists out there and they were churning out some of the most beautiful things ever and like yep. just that like they they couldn't get the illustration jobs but they had to make something and i think that's why the stories like you don't even have to really read them for the most part like there are some beautiful yeah. easy stories like there's some uh, amazing archie stories that are so well written oh, i've been way into that like, stuff lately I, cool. I read the shit out of old horror comics and like 60s archie i'll read i'll read it like i can't stop reading it i can't get enough of it and totally. it's garbage it's just puns over no, and over yeah. and i love it absolutely and a lot of that's because of the way that like that stuff was made was art first like a lot of that was like where it, it was the opposite of so like the ec stuff they would literally get panels with balloons and they have to draw around the balloons like they couldn't move mm -hmm. balloons in their panels which is crazy but Whoa, if you look I didn't know that <laughs> at those old horror comics they would get the whole thing scripted out on a page and they'd have to draw around the balloon and everything so it was like next level from what like stan would do for like jacker and stuff like it's great but like if you ever get a chance to see those pages have you ever seen any of them in person like as far as like the original no. like dude if you I've ever seen get some chance, scans of the originals though the amount of white out and stuff on there like white medium is a tool that they mastered and that like has oh, this totally. like, like beautiful effect that like it gives their inking like a whole nother kind of level of viscosity or something that's just and it like it like the first time i saw so one of my favorite comic artists is will eisner who like is like he the way he inks things is just amazing to me so the first time i saw uh will eisner's original artwork he is the whole thing's covered in white out and i was like shit if this dude that's like you know one of the best there ever was needs this much white out like there's room for everybody like if there's that much yep. mistakes that's like amazing but that was my mind was blown the other day by someone way smarter about comics there's a uh youtube channel card called cartoonist kayfabe and they go over all this stuff like that's where oh, i, I just found most of that 
someone super, someone told me about that like fucking last week or something highly and recommend. blown away i'd never heard about it <laughs> yeah they go through all the best stuff well they're going over the eisner originals and the reason that there was that much white out on the page is because he ran a studio so he would pencil the stuff someone else would go through and do the bones of inking it all and then he would take the page back and make it finalized so it would look like an eisner page he would white out the stuff he didn't like and draw over top of it so it looked like his work and i was like fuck Whoa. that's like heartbreaking and way cooler and like like it's so many feelings at once from hearing that and like but like you're saying just like finding out the way that that people made things back then that looked so beautiful and like the way they didn't take their artwork as originals so seriously the point was that it looked good on a printed page the point wasn't yep. to have like a beautiful painting afterwards and that like if you looked at the way i keep any of my original artwork it does not look nice like i i should like fix Same. that probably at some point but i still just like have trash piles of things because i work on tracing paper and like a yep. lot of like you know i i use weird materials like that but yeah, yeah. uh so I don't even know how we got down that rabbit hole there, but I think uh, you you really you hit that aesthetic so well, and I really resonated with that a lot. Like as far as when I first discovered your work, and could tell you you could tell when people have a good taste in stuff, if that makes sense. <laughs> like oh yeah yeah yeah. What do they what do they say? It is something about where taste meets talent. Taste meets talent, and yeah. like. I, I find that so much like you, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you have shit for taste, then like, it doesn't matter. You can exactly. have all, all the taste in the world, but if you don't spend time cultivating talent, cause I don't think that you're born with it. Like no. it's definitely cultivated. It's not easy. Um, have, but yeah, if, if you can get those things to come together, well, holy shit. No, but yeah, I, right. I had the same experience. I went to, there, there used to be a San Francisco comic museum and I got to see some Charles Schultz in person. And there's mm. just white out all over the thing and blue pencil all over the thing. But seeing Beautiful. these comics that like I grew up reading and just like just obsessing over like the line work and stuff and finding out that he he drew super huge for these yeah. really simple things. And they were also whited out all over. I'm like, oh, this is how you do it. It's it it was so eye-opening. And yeah, also no like just looking at shit like that and it's still hard to do it as an artist but looking at it and being like it's not perfect and that's what i like about it uh, yeah. i can see somebody's hand in it i can see the mistakes in it and it makes it's it's like punk like you listen to it and you're like it it's not overwhelming you're like oh i could do this and yeah. that that feeling of that is i I don't know. People are like getting so upset with like AI art and being like, we're out of work. And like, I don't feel like that at all. I think people no. are always going to look at things that have a, a humanity in them and be like inspired by that. And that goes so much farther than like having perfection on a page. Oh yeah. And there's, uh, it's so funny that you just brought up AI art because it's something that I've been thinking a lot about and like have a whole lot of feelings about in, 
pretty much the same have landed in the same spot that you are because when you look so my favorite part of art history besides comics is the golden age of illustration and it's probably because where i live i'm right next to the brandywine valley which is where like howard Pyle and like all all of the dudes that like defined art in the turn of the century lived and worked and everything so i love oh, that awesome. stuff like it's some of my favorite stuff but you know what happened in like 1920 right like photography destroyed illustration so all these guys oh, yeah. they were like making tons they were the movie stars they were the ones setting fashion they were the ones setting trends they were making what would be like millions of dollars these days off of their paintings and everything but then photography came and saturday night or saturday evening post and all these places were like you know what we can pay a photographer half what we can pay these illustrators and like yeah. it definitely shrunk the market but it also made the like it pushed a lot of those people into the underground and those people turned into like the comic artists that we love. Like that is yep. like how the comic scene became. So I think all of these things like culturally shift and like people will be like, yeah, like once big giant companies that might pay for artwork now realize they can just like download an app, they might not pay for artwork. But like those people were never going to pay us for artwork. So like, I don't think about those people, you know, like yeah. that's the type of thing that's just like, but it's going to shift things, but probably to something better. And I think that like, you just said like when you're young and looking at like I want to write a song and you hear like a punk song, you're like, I can do that. If you're young and you want to make a picture, maybe like, starting with an AI will give you that like confidence to go to a piece of paper or you know what I mean like just oh, being totally. able to create it takes down barriers and I think that's really important because yeah yeah I, honestly I can't wait to have access to that shit because <laughs> like setting up my iPad camera and like miming the positions that I need to draw in front of it and then like working off those pictures is such a struggle but if, yes. if I can like work with an AI and be like like vaguely describe what I'm imagining and then take the parts I like and, and draw from it. Like, Oh my God, that's going to be so nice. <laughs> I, I can't wait for that. And that's exactly what Will Eisner was doing with that studio of cartoonists. He would let the cartoonists build the frame and then he would take that page and put his finishes over top of it. So if you if you kind of like use the AI as a tool to replace the model, then that makes all the sense in the world. Like it really yep. it's one of those things that I think uh, I have a very knee jerk reaction of being like, this is bad. But then I'm like, nah, this is probably going to be for the better in the long run. <laughs> yeah. Um, Totally. And I, I think you're right. I think it's gonna, it's gonna change things, but I think it's going to end up for the best. And like, like you and me also both coming from like a coffee background, like we've seen that. And there, there was that, that scare when like Starbucks was taken over and the whole like second mm -hmm. wave, like fuck Starbucks, like, yeah. but you know, now here we are. And like you said, you're, you guys are selling coffee to these shops in Japan because you're doing exactly what you're doing. There's always yeah. going to be that, that want for something that is tasteful in a way that, that, uh, just mass production cannot hit. Totally. Yeah, no. And, uh, like we were just saying before this, I don't think AI can have taste. Like, I don't think you can get like, like we were just saying like how, like, this is takes not only talent but takes like cultural experience and taste and like curation and i think these are all human things that are real hard to ascribe to ai at this point but who knows i i like i like thinking about how weird stuff can get for sure but at the same time i'm not scared about like 
I think my five-year-old has plenty of chances of being a paid artist when he grows up, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think that's going to yeah. go away. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So when would like to kind of go back to your art progression here a little bit, when did it become like a reality for you to become like a, a working artist, like someone that pays the bills doing artwork? How, how big of a, like, was that a recent jump or was, or is it, it something so recent? Okay. I was going to say it has it happened because sometimes I jump the gun with that one when I talk. To oh people. yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, so I, I worked actually at the Rose establishment where I, get brandy wine coffee like years back and things were snowballing with all with art and I really wanted to to go full-time and when I left there I decided to go full-time and and I did it for three months but it ended up being too much for me that the timing just wasn't right and I ended up going back into into coffee and I worked uh just just juggling jobs with coffee jobs and uh, and eventually it just got to a natural breaking point uh, for me, which I, I'm really happy that that I took that approach because I want to be able to say no to to the jobs that don't move me. I want to yeah. do exactly what I want to do, how I want to do it. I don't want to be one of those people that's like, fuck, I'm already full time and rent is due. And mm-hmm. this this person like wants me to like make some crisp clean logo for their fucking like (laughs) lotion company or something like that so i gotta crank this thing out like that's never been what i want from art and so i I was just never gonna do it but but yeah it reached a point where i was like just canceling shift after shift and the people that i worked for uh la barba coffee were just just so phenomenal so supportive of me would hire me for art things would like I'd sit down with them and be like, yo, I have like this massive client and it, it looks like it's going to take like two weeks of my time. I just, I can't work any shifts. And they'd be like, that's fine. Like that's take amazing. two weeks off. We, we love to see you like doing like living your dream. And, and after those two weeks, like come back and pull some shifts, whatever. <laughs> but it got to a point where I was like, I'm, I'm doing myself a disservice. I'm doing La Barba a disservice. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm saying no to jobs because I don't have enough energy because I'm trying to work a coffee job. And this is stupid. I need yeah. to just start saying yes to these jobs that I really, really want to do. And it's time to just start buying coffee instead of making it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you still get to make it at home at least. <laughs> I love making it at home. And I also get uh, to visit barista friends and be like hey yes uh pass that milk across the bar let me pour a latte real quick (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well that's awesome no i'm uh that like step to be like okay this is it full time is one that i took my art career path is really weird like we were just talking about because of brandy wine i got real lucky so like i kind of had a very supported step into being a full-time artist being that i had a you know, full-time job doing it. But before that, when I went just freelance for a couple, like about a year or so, I have so much respect for people that do that hustle. And like, it feels amazing when it, when it's working. Like, do you, do you think you want to stay more with like doing, do you do a lot of freelance illustration stuff? Like I noticed you, you still put out t-shirts and posters and stuff like that, but do you have more interest in doing like the illustrative side of things or more into kind of selling your own like stuff on the website and stuff? I've been struggling with that. Um, It's, 
I don't know. It's gotten to a point where I'll, I'll be honest, I'm feeling kind of burnt out uh, having to work for clients, even clients that I'm excited about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's stressful and it can be frustrating uh, working for people and like hearing their input and, and your job at the end of the day is to, is to make them happy. And, uh-huh. and as an, as an illustrator, not an artist, you are supposed to be illustrating what they envision. And so like, it, it doesn't matter how right, you know, you are, you're wrong if you're not pleasing the client. And, yeah. and I think that, I think that's important. I think there's a, there's beauty to that. And I think it's, it's a job that needs to be served. That's in no way like speaking ill of my clients. Like they, they need someone that fills that role and can be their hands because they can only totally. tell you what they imagine and you have to be their hands and make it happen. And that's awesome and beautiful, but I'm, I am tiring of having to do it as often as I had been doing it. Uh, there was a point where I was literally making three pieces a day and like I fucked up my wrist and I'm still suffering from that. Like it's, it sucked. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm always going to want to do client work in some capacity, but I don't want to have to rely on it anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that looks like, <laughs> um, but that's that's where I'm at. With that's it. a good place to be at. No, if you if you're churning out that much a day, it's funny because I run into the problem where I'll get through. Like Brandywine puts out two releases a week. We put out two new coffees a week. So I and like I have to be a couple months ahead for our release schedule. But like I there's comes a time where I, that workload builds up because that's, you know, two releases a week times four weeks a month and all that. It's way more. And I'm like, why am I tired? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a lot. And then I do other stuff on top of that, obviously. But I don't. Yeah. I almost oh, you're producing let... so much on top of that. It's fucking crazy with like your comics and everything. It's you, you have a lot of creativity and I do not have that to me. I really do not. So luckily I can steal a lot of stuff I use for my personal and put it into Brandywine. Like I don't have to keep the things separate, which I'm really lucky for. Like I can be like, oh, I really like this part of this comic. I'm going to take that and redraw it for a Brandywine bag. And like, mm-hmm. I can kind of like utilize those things. And uh, I think Brandywine's what taught me how to like produce on a daily basis, but also taught me that like, you got to give yourself breaks. Like I, I have, I fall in that like, Oh, I'm just drawing pictures for a living. I shouldn't ever need to take a break. I should take on as much work as I can. And then I'm like, why am I so tired? I guess it's the kids. They're like, no, it's not the kids. It's the other stuff. Like it really is drain, especially like not only the physical act of drawing, but like, I don't know. I think on the more like weird side, there's something like draining about just being creative. I think even even if you were just sitting at a desk and thinking of ideas all day, you would be just as tired as like doing the physical yeah. act of drawing. There's, there's something to that, that I don't think uh, artists really give themselves enough credit for, or like enough uh, self-care about. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. It's, it is so draining to just be thinking about those things. And it's, it doesn't leave you a lot of time to just enjoy you're you'll just be like reading comics and you're not actually reading it you're like thinking about how you're gonna make that next job happen or like what yes. you're even gonna fucking draw because everyone loves to just uh, to just be like you know just do whatever and you're like 
fuck i'm so out of whatever's i don't know yeah i don't know what to give you anymore like it's got to come from somewhere yes um, and so you're just digging constantly and yeah it, it can be really hard but it it can also be really rewarding and lead you into to awesome places yeah what's uh what's some kind of inspiration hole you've been going down recently is there anything particular that's been uh kind of getting your juices flowing yeah it's been all them pre-code horror comics big time yeah. for me i i'm actually really super new to pre-code horror comics and i was super super surprised how much i love reading them like i was saying before like I'm not, I, I don't really like nerd out on a lot of stories mm -hmm. and things like that. I'm usually just like looking at the art and enjoying the art. But uh, I, I picked up uh, these like Haunted Love comics. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. And I started just like I would, I would start my day like making a pour over, going out on the porch and reading one. Um, and I just couldn't get enough and I loved it so much. It, and it was, it was a nice break from Archie. Uh, yeah. I love Archie, but eventually I think it started to feel like work Yeah, um, for me to be like reading through Archie or like reading through Scooby-Doo stuff and like looking for inspiration and looking for faces uh, totally. where I'll be like, I'll look at a face and I'll be like, Ooh, I want to like go upstairs and draw it so I can get like a study of like how they can make that kind of expression or whatever. And eventually you kind of run out of that, especially <laughs> with like Archie or anything that's like a studio style. Yes, um, yes. They're just reusing a lot. Um, but yeah, so to, so to shift, but to stay still like retro and find all of this horror stuff that also really moved me, but is also really kitschy. And just like yeah. so funny how how bad it is half the time. God, I, I'm just eating it up. It's amazing. And I love, like, I miss anthology comics like that. Like, I love how there's just like three stories in each one. And like each one, like, I, there's so much weirdness. Like every one of them is so weird. And just so like either just uh, really straightforward and exactly what you think is going to happen or just the yeah. craziest shit that like you were like, how is this even like some of this stuff? I'm like, who is the audience for these books back then? I'm so confused. Have you ever, uh, so one recommendation that I would really put out there is there's a book called creeping death of Neptune or creeping death Ooh. from Neptune. And uh, it's right, by, yeah, I think Fantagraphics may have put out a collection of it. It's Basil Wolverton's first uh, oh, sci-fi cool. and horror comics. So, like, are you you're familiar with Basil? Like his crazy faces and stuff. He did like Mad yeah. Magazine portraits, and so before yeah. he did that stuff, he did these sci-fi and horror comics that are drawn. You can still tell it's him. Like it's still like the the cross hatching and the stippling and all that stuff's there. It's amazingly crafted. But like he writes these absolutely batshit insane sci-fi and horror stories it's so much fun like they are oh, that's, that's some awesome. of the most it's some of the most out there stuff i've ever read and uh hit like the artwork's gorgeous and he also in yeah it's got to be fanographics that put out that collection he did some mickey mouse comics like uh which are oh, the I most real weird shit that i've seen in so long but yeah that stuff is so i love going down those rabbit holes and like you're saying like just like looking at that artwork and be like how did they make that like how is that a thing that was uh, created back then like that's yeah. always blows my mind um 
completely switching topics. Do you, the we just did a collab together for Brandy Wine for the Spooky Club coffee, and I loved your drawing for it. And you said it Thank was you. it it was that a reference to a specific urban legend that you uh, that you experienced or know about? Yeah, yeah. So uh, just a few blocks up from my house is it's the lar- it's actually the largest municipal cemetery in the country. Uh, the, the Salt Lake City Cemetery up in the avenues. And over in plot X4, there's a grave that says Lily E. Gray, victim of the beast 666. Amazing. And she died sometime in the 50s. I believe it's like 1957 might be her date of death. And there's just all of these wild stories about why this gravestone would say that. Um, and I've, I've never found one where I can for sure be like, oh, this is why. Uh, and I love that about it. I think what's that's your, so great. What's your favorite one? I mean, obviously that she was p- possessed by the devil. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the coolest one. Um, the, the least cool and the, the more likely that I've heard is that she fell away from the church and her family did not. And it was like out of spite that she wasn't Mormon when she died. Uh, And maybe that she like was drinking or maybe that she gambled or, or some shit that is, isn't okay by Mormon standards and that she had died. And they're like, there you go. See, that's what happens when you're not Mormon. (laughs) I think that's more likely, but still, I, I don't know. Way less fun, way less fun. But yeah, that's that's very interesting. Was there uh, lots of weird stuff along those lines around there growing up? Like, did you were you into the kind of uh, uh, legend tripping and stuff? I mean, Salt Lake City's got like a very magical feel to it in a lot of ways. I feel like I've only been there twice, yeah. but it's got a very distinct feel to to the city. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really bizarre history here, and I think because of especially like really old Mormon stuff. Like they're very into like uh, covering up everything from their past uh, and, and hiding things from the public, which just makes it rife for like haunting stories that you'll oh, never yeah. get to the bottom of because they're like <laughs> officially being guarded by the church. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I love that. I, I loved ghost hunting when I was younger, when I was a teenager and yeah, we, we have a, a lot of cool haunted places here. Uh, and also over in Ogden, which is just uh, maybe an hour away from us, there's a lot of haunted stuff up there. And experienced some crazy stuff in Ogden doing like a little ghost tour. That was a lot of fun. Really? Yeah, what happened? Oh my God. Story. So uh, a few a few Halloweens back, we, we booked one of them, you know, those like official ghost tours where you like get in a bus with all these people. And they take you around and like tell you like uh, haunting histories or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went out on one of those with one of our friends who's actually from Ogden, and the tour was so fucking underwhelming. It was <laughs> it was so lame. We didn't go in anywhere. They would just like drive up to things, tell half of a story, and be like, "Look around," and then they just drive away. Be like, seriously, you like pay for this? But at the end, my friend who's just like really good at telling stories and so funny she's like let's go on our own uh ghost story thing and went around to all of these other sites that were way scarier had like way richer history 
But uh, she took us over to this hotel that used to be called the Ben Lamond. Okay. And it's hella fucking haunted. It's it's actually, you, you know, um, in The Shining, that picture of, of them all like in there and like Jack is up front, uh, like it zooms in at the end. Oh, yeah. Like Jack is a part of like the hotel history. Yep. Uh, it, it looks like that uh, the, the haunted mansion, the hall in the haunted mansion is based off of this area within Whoa. the Benlamont. Um, but so it got bought out by this company and was really, they were really trying to push for it to be like rebranded. Like we're not the haunted Benlamont, like we're this <laughs> other thing and just totally fucking failing at it. Like it's still <laughs> extra scary in there. And like to the point where, where we were in there and she was like telling us about it, like, oh, um, this, all this shit happened up on the 13th floor and someone died. And then there was like this uh, guy who operated the, the elevator and he like went into it one day and the elevator was there. So he fell down the elevator shaft and he died. And now the elevator like still goes up and down. Sure enough, the elevator was still going up and down, Whoa. even with all of the remodeling and then like doing all of this stuff to cover everything up the door would just like open and then it would shut and it would go to all of the floors it would come down and then it would randomly do it again and then other doors were just opening and shutting it was like terrifying we were like that's horrifying and and i'm not really a, a very outgoing person sometimes i am sometimes i'm not but it was, it was late at night and I was like, fuck it. Like I, I went up to the desk clerk and I was like, what is up with that elevator? And she was straight up like, oh, that's Otis. He haunts the hotel. I'm like, dude, <laughs> whoa. And, uh, and we like went down to the basement where apparently like a murder happened. And there was this, this like super, super cold gust just coming out of the basement. It was awesome it was so scary (laughs) (laughs) that's wonderfully scary that's awesome i've never had any experiences like that on any kind of ghost tours and it makes sense that it would happen after the official one (laughs) like that's so much better that's so much better that's uh yeah that's really freaky elevators uh i i don't like them anyway (laughs) oh yeah seriously i don't know if it's a claustrophobic thing how old was that place it was super old you said yeah, yeah, super old. I think one of the first hotels in Ogden, if I'm correct. But yeah, really it, old hotel. I don't know if this is an urban legend or not, but at some point they said they stopped putting 13th floors in uh, hotels. Like they just skipped them. Like if you go to a lot of hotels from a certain time period, they just like there would be a 13th floor, but it wouldn't be labeled as the 13th floor. And yes. I was yeah. like, is that an actual thing? Is that really something? Or did I just hear that somewhere and put that in my brain? No, that is. That is a real thing. Wow, that's so cool. I love when like superstitions and weird stuff like filter all the way down to how buildings are built or like how things operate. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I love that stuff too. Did you grow up loving spooky stuff? Like were you a Halloween kid growing up? You know, it's funny. Um within the past couple of years my mom gave me a folder of my artwork from the ages of like 4 until eight or something and yeah it was mm-hmm. full of monsters <laughs> so yeah yeah i always that's, loved spooky stuff that's awesome i uh oh, that's, yeah. 
my parents i want to turn my video back on for one second to show you this my mom just gave this to me did you ever have any of these books the how to draw monsters weirdos and aliens series so it's no. like yeah it's just like from the late 80s it's like here's how you draw a ghost it's like the wish breakdown with the circles and the squares and like oh that's yeah. beautiful it's, i never yeah. understood those books i know I, I just tried and like i I just didn't construct things like that. No, I just traced the end drawing. I would just take whatever paper I had and lay it over the final drawing and be like, okay, I'd start here now. <laughs> like, yes, yeah. but totally. even, even now, like I don't draw like, like I, it's funny. I was talking to somebody who uses the iPad to do their like initial sketches and then prints out blue line and then does tighter artwork over top of that. And I was like, Fair. I can't imagine sketching on an iPad. Like I can't, like, Good. I still, I like, I need that like kind of flowiness you get like that you can't do on a little, yeah. whatever size of iPad. Is. And I also think there's something like nostalgic just about the physical like there's something to just the physical act of drawing like and it, and i think that like even just seeing how much my kids gravitate towards drawing like my five-year-old could draw on a tablet anytime he wants but he still prefers to draw on a piece of paper you know like yeah i think there's something to that and even I, one of the last interviews i did was with a, a buddy of mine that i've done uh comics with forever and he's an art teacher now and i was asking him about like how kids take to like procreate and and like ai art and all this stuff now and he's like dude they just want to draw they just want pencils and paper like they don't want the tablet they don't want like that like they literally like they like the ai stuff they think it's funny to type pikachu in there and see what happens and whatnot yeah. and like, but like they don't care, like it's they don't look at it as like oh i'm creating art by doing this they're like they still just want like paper and paints and i'm like that's cool to hear like there's because i think there is something that's just like basic human necessity to do that stuff you know yeah totally i mean we sit on phone calls and you just start doodling or yeah we're even making weird patterns but like you there's totally. something about us that we need to do that even if you don't consider yourself an artistic person i feel like mm. a lot of people still gravitate towards it yeah no absolutely i always laugh when people say they're not creative or artistic and i'm like you okay you're silly that we're all creatives and artistics and like i like my I've two met main people who are not uh, generally i agree with you no i it's I, the people who have taste oh, okay, who are like yeah. oh i wish i wish i could do what you do i'm like shut the fuck up you could do what i do yes. because you have taste totally. but then there's people where you're like you'll see them and they're like wearing basketball shorts with like a button up and you're like oh like you have zero visual awareness like no. you really you couldn't <laughs> there is people that could not do what you do or become a professional creative but i think everybody can make crap like i think everybody yeah. has like an urge to make stuff and whatnot and like i think i just have this thing broken in my brain where like people make things too hard sometimes i'm like no it's like silk screening is this way i get people all the time where they're like how do you do i'm like it's the easiest fucking thing in the world it's literally yeah. just like like it's the oldest printing technology it's like not very like i built this thing when i was 14 and it still works like there's like it's not hard like yeah. you can i can teach you the hardest thing is burning screens and like that's really i do it in the sun like i burn my screens in the you sun do? outside of my garage what? yeah i Oof. i so i my buddy that i used to work for who like 
he like the way that I started screen printing was he had jobs for like, uh, I don't know if this is still a thing, but for like Live Nation, there would be like a Fallout mm-hmm. Boy tour and he would print like a bajillion Fallout Boy posters for every stop of the tour. And I would help I would help him. And he burnt everything oh, cool. in the sun in like a self-made box that he he made out of like he got a um, I think it was an old uh, scanning bed piece of glass. And he made like a, a oh, yeah, piece yeah. Of glass and built a foam structure around it and showed me how to do it. And that's what I've done this whole time. That's what BCR did up to like two years ago. <laughs> like we just got an exposure so using everything. But how yeah, do you like, time that? Huh? Uh, it's about how, five sec about five seconds. You use a UV uh, sensitive emulsion that I can't remember what it is called right now. But uh, yeah, it pretty much is the fast. It's like five seconds exposing time, and like you fuck up some things pretty good. And it definitely so my artwork is not very like fine detail. If it was like stuff mm. where you had to retain like some half tones and things like that, like it would be a lot rougher. But like, oh okay, stuff, I see. Yeah, yeah most yeah, of my stuff. I've heard of people doing that with the sun, but I've I've had friends do it and they're like, it depends so much on the day. Like one day it'll be like a couple seconds. The next day you'll do 45 seconds and it's still not exposed because there's just not enough sun. Like that is so wild. When I first started doing it, I had a flood lamp that I hung from my (laughs) longboard that was across two chairs. And then I had this glass that I stole from Whole Foods, which was wild oats at the time. and stuck it on my screen to like weigh everything down and i really had like 45 minute exposure time 45 that's amazing dude by the time it was exposed like the heat from the heat lamp or from from the uv lamp had like melted it to the screen and sometimes (laughs) it would like ruin the screen that way it was awful what do you do you have a setup at your house now like do you have a print setup now i don't you're in an apartment you said sorry <laughs> yeah i'm in an apartment and I, i've already gotten in trouble from too many landlords for doing that like clogging our drain drains with mm-hmm. emulsion and stuff and it's just not worth it so i'm i'm part of a print collective that's just a few blocks away called copper palette press and nice. thank god i joined there because <laughs> yeah by the end of i i printed out of my bedroom for a good like six or so years and by the end of it i was doing runs of like 600 three color posters and all this shit and it it sucked and also i didn't learn to drive until just a few years ago so i was like riding my bike with uh all of the screens under my arm in the middle of winter over to the car wash to like spray them out um yeah in the middle of the night because it's illegal as fuck to like wash the emulsion down the car wash drain yeah it's not Um, supposed to go down and then if you mess it up you're just like well, fuck. Now I've got to do like all this again. It, it was terrible. <laughs> that's, I am uh, impressed you stuck with it, to be honest. That's, that's amazing. I would have given up uh, several times over. <laughs> but I wanted to. There was a lot of print runs that just ended me crying and saying, I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> but um, the, the setup is still pretty punk rock. Like we, we do like the oil uh, on paper transparencies mm-hmm. and stuff over there. At least I do. Some people st- get their positives printed but i'm never gonna do that if, if i can still, keep it kind of punk like I, i'm gonna do it all the way that's amazing i there's a few there's a few times that i've been wanting to go back to do we still i print everything for brandywine on transparencies because it's just easier for i don't burn yeah. the screens anymore i've had to teach everybody i'm now out of the print department there so i've had to automate but they actually just discontinued i don't know if you've heard the main 
uh, transparency printer, the Artisan 1450 or whatever, is now discontinued, so they don't make ink for it anymore. So oh, no. it's yeah, there's a Canon version apparently that does pretty good. I haven't looked into it, but I'm I was like thinking I was talking to my buddy who runs a shop that I do all of my apparel with. And he's like, well, you guys should just get a rip software and get that. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not getting it. That's way too much. If I can't do it out of Photoshop or Illustrator, I don't want to do it. That's way too much to learn at this point in my life. I don't have the yeah. capacity. I'm not, we're oh, not totally. a shop. But um, that's awesome. Do you, like, was silk screening something that you got into, but like, to print your own artwork? Or was it more for the band stuff? Was it more just to get the t-shirts it was to get all that it was to get posters out originally so i i used to again like draw posters for punk shows and i would just xerox them and then bring them around town and there was a record store here called slow train and in the basement there was uh, a gallery slash like framing shop run by an artist called leia bell okay. and she she does printmaking and i would bring her my posters and she would allow me to hang them up but she liked my art and she was like, you should be screen printing. And I was like, I, I don't even know what that means or what that would entail. <laughs> like, I have no idea. And she like gave me a basic rundown of like what I needed or whatever. And I like went out and got it. And then I tried my hand at it and failed and I would bring her my failures and she'd be like, oh, it looks like maybe you were doing this wrong or whatever. And it was just like a lot of months of me failing, <laughs> showing off my failures and being told what I probably did wrong <laughs> until eventually it started to come out with more of the run being okay than not okay. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. It's one of the things that once like you get it figured out, it, it's just so gratifying. Like there's just something to putting the screen down and pulling it up and being like, oh, that's there now. That was blank a minute yeah. ago. Like that instant gratification is something you can't beat. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And especially for me getting into the four color CMYK process printing has been really gratifying. Because doing the, the like, just like a cool, like two color or something, as fun as that can be, I get really obsessed with like the colors that I'm using. Mm -hmm. And you know, like you'll do a mock-up that's digital and it's backlit or whatever. And once you get used to that, having it be slightly off on the page, I'll get to the end and I'm always like disappointed. Yeah. But Doing the CMYK thing, I've gotten it to a point where I understand exactly how it's going to look on the page or it's going to look better on the page than it does on the mock-up. Yes. And that's been really nice because I, I have such a clear understanding and you get to the last layer and it's the line layer and it pulls it all together and you're just like, that's oh, That's the best fuck, feeling yeah. in the world. That yeah, that laying down that trap is like the best, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, with the other way, like I would get to like how your shirt is, is it purple and pink? yeah purple and pinky <laughs> like i i would get to the last layer and i'm like fuck my pink is too dark uh -huh. or i'd be like oh no my pink is too light and like now the whole run and like everyone's looking at it like what are you talking about this looks but fine you know yeah <laughs> but i i feel like because i've gotten so used to the mock-up that i had made that like it it can't be the exact same and i'd always yeah. just get so frustrated yeah, we had to put a note on Brandywine's website pretty early on to be like, these are all digital mock-ups. Your bags are going to be slightly different colors when you receive them. <laughs> and like, Would you get people that complained? Yep, 100%. Oh. And we, I mean, like, it's 
people are pretty understanding. Like usually you email them back and you're like, this is hand done. We're because most people just didn't know we were silk screening them. Like it's not yeah. like I mean, we kind of advertise it, but it's not like it says it on the website in big letters or anything. But like, so I think people were trying to be nice and be like, I think your printer messed up or something. But we we're just oh like gosh. so we had to put like in the FAQs, like, yeah, these are all hand silk screen and we mix all of our own inks, they're not out of the jar, so they change from run to run. And like that's yep. part of the beauty, that's part of the nice part of it. They're all individual works of art and like you know obviously it resonated and most people get it but it's just so funny like that i know that feeling so well when you transferred to doing the four color process was that like because of the way that you were constructing your illustrations like did that influence how you were printing as far as building the stuff uh beforehand well, it's something that like I've always wanted to do because of just being so influenced by comic book art. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted it to look like comic book art, but I didn't know how to make that happen through screen printing. So when I started like working with Retro Supply and saying what I wanted to do, because like I, I worked with them for I think like a year making illustrations for, for other products and for their sales yeah. and things like that. Before I think that's how started- I first saw your work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, before they had Color Lab, I was just using like some half tones here and there. And uh, eventually, they figured out how to how to break down how to like bring that four color process together. And so that I can like use each of those four colors to make four different screens and churn out paper that looks like old comics. So once I had that code cracked, like yeah. I, I just got obsessed and I'll still do like cool, like two color, or like three colors that are just like out of the jar colors or like colors that I mix. Mm-hmm. But I've always just gravitated towards that four color process. Like one, yeah. one of my first art memories is my mom, like explaining to me when I was really little drawing me Archie characters and being like, this is how they would make peach and doing like a bunch of red dots and being like now back away and look at it and it was like fucking magic to me (laughs) like like i'm telling you like where the stories just would like fade into the background and i'm just like how do they make that peach and you hold it up really close (laughs) to your face and you're like it's all these dots i don't get it and 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 now that i've cracked that code i'm like oh shit everything's gonna be four color process dude absolutely and you it's so nice like that there's there is a lost art form to that. Like the, I wish I could remember the name of the women that were responsible. So there was one color house for like all of these comics, right? And all yeah. the color separations were done by like these three women that are some of the most unsung heroes of comics because they made those things sing with that color. Like, and they did. Oh, are you talking like, about back in the day of Ben Day Dots? Yeah. Well, and with like the hat, like essentially, like, a lot of these uh, comic houses would ship their final product, like the inks, to be uh, actually colored by the, like, hand watercolored is what they would do. Like, they would, it, oh, it's called, okay. It's called the blue line technique, I'm pretty sure, is like the technical name. But they would take a scan of it and they would do washes and they would make those, they'd say, this one's 10% cyan, this one's 20% cyan. And then they go, this one's 30% magenta, this one's 40%. And they would layer them over top. And But they would all be done by like hand paint and then they would be photographed. And that's what they would make the actual plates off of to make the like bend it, to make the dots, like to make the halftones. Oh, wow. So, then they made the like Bende sheets and all that stuff that were like the the um, 
great tone and all that zipatone and all of that but like they still had to for the most part like all the comics from i'd say like the 50s through even like the 70s got that treatment where a lot of them were like hand washed and then that wash was converted into the different percentages of the four color process and like most of those washes were done by i really wish i could remember that there's a name for uh it's gonna bug me and maybe when i'm editing this i will pop in and put that name in there because yeah so send Lin, it to me i will lynn varley who's one of the best uh she was the colorist on a bunch of huge books frank miller books dark knight returns dark knight like all those big books she s- cites them as like her biggest influences and like wrote um, this whole really beautiful um article about them and i think about it all the time because it's like no one looks at the colorist of a comic book. Like even now, like, well, now I guess coloring's better. Coloring got really bad in comics for a while. It was very gray and brown and just like very muted oh, yeah. and weird. But it's gotten a lot better. There's a lot more people figured it out. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah. Do you, uh, do you have any interest in like making comics? Like as far as like doing like an actual 24 page comic book? Oh, or yeah, any or absolutely. comic strip or any like have you done that before? Am I just uh, unfamiliar with this? Uh, a a big way that I started getting better at art, like from posters, was making comics, uh, making journal comics. I awesome. I was obsessed with like King Cat comics. Oh yeah! I, so uh, I would I would do journal comics every day. I keep and this it little was, guy on my desk yeah, at all times. I have a King Cat comic tattoo. <gasps> That's beautiful. Oh, so good. But yeah, like when when I was making journal comics, like. It was so hard. I feel like I, I could do it a lot better now, but I, I had just been getting back into drawing and doing that and pushing myself to be drawing like multiple panels every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of that. And then um, I did like a little comic about some witches that I did like a really soft release a few years back. And then I just kind of dropped it because at the time I was still fully analog. And it was it was just like a lot, a lot for me to sketch and all of that just on the one big piece of bristol board and then i would keep it on the bristol board and it was a lot and i I didn't have a large scanner so i would have to take all of my my drawings and i would get someone's university id and go take the train up to the university and use their big (laughs) scanners and sometimes i had like gone and like bought my ticket for the train and left all my drawings on top of the the thing and just totally lost the whole thing like someone out there has a stack of my originals um it was just there there were so many like roadblocks to where now like like i said there there became a point where i was producing three full finished pieces every single day exactly where i'm like man i really want to start doing comics again um but i'm not great uh, probably because i wasn't really attracted to stories growing up uh i'm not great at writing stories yeah, um, no, I'm with you. So yeah, there's that disconnect. But I've got a few. I have a few scripts for just like funny comics in my phone that I want to get to. Yeah. I thought I was going to get to them for this October art show, but there's just too much other stuff to do. So I don't think I'm going to do it yet. But yeah, I've totally. got I've got some stuff. 
I'm stoked to see that. I think you could do some really cool stuff. I think we are the same person in a lot of ways. Like the struggle to find an 11 by 17 scanner in the early 2000s was real. Like I, yeah. like we, my buddy got a job at Kinko's just so that we could use their scanner to scan our comic totally. pages. Because, well, like you said, when you realize that these guys are drawing them huge and then reducing them down, and that's part of the magic, you're like, I have to do that. I have to draw everything huge. But then you yeah. can only afford an eight and a half by 11 scanner you're like wait a second what do i do <laughs> like up until oh gosh yeah I, yeah when that I, fucking clicked for me because i'm sure you remember you'd like draw on a balloon when you were little uh -huh. and then you'd pop it <laughs> and it shrink and you'd be like that's so crisp and beautiful yep yeah and then and then you see like yeah like some charles schultz in person and you're like the balloon it's it like he's drawing on a balloon <laughs> See, it was there the whole time no yeah, absolutely yeah. it's oh those little, little things but to touch on what you said there as far as like what the tools allow us to do these days i mean you mentioned earlier how prolific i am it's only because of the tools that i have like totally, up yeah. until like two years ago i'd say because i got an ipad probably in like 2006 or seven way before it was like really usable for art at all. Like it sucked. It was yeah. like not. And the only option was those Wacom tablets and they didn't even make them. You had to like draw down here, but look at the screen. You couldn't look at what Ugh. you were drawing. Like, you know, like Gross. that's the style. Yeah, I was like, I can't do this. So I, I hand drew everything and I would use uh, these Stedler permanent Lumicolor markers and use Denril. Have you ever fucked with Denril? I think you would love Denril. It's Is that a, a rub on stuff? It's a uh, drafting vellum that was created in like the 60s. That's It's like the thickest, nicest textured tracing paper you would ever touch in your life. Oh, but you cool. can only use certain inks on it because most of the inks will wipe off of it. So like there's these Lumo Color Stedler permanent markers that I love. That I, So I would use to do a four color print. I would have four pieces of the yep. uh, Lumo paper and I would draw them and then I would scan each one in individually, vector them, and then layer them on top of each other in illustration trader or photoshop and like now oh, i just do it all like i sketch it out i take a picture of it with my with my ipad and i do everything from there like i'm half and half yeah. I do and you can take your fucking kids to the pool and totally like bring your ipad with you and be like it's, i'm drawing and I'm watching the kids where before so, it was like all of this <laughs> shit to like draw my stuff because i have all these inks and all Dude, of these brushes and i'm very exactly. specific about what ink and what brush yep. And like, yes. I still love inking with like a Windsor Newton 30. Like I love yeah, doing that still, but like at the end of the day, I can't, I can't do everything like that. And like the retro supplies or the true grit, like they all have these access to these tools that can for 90% of the people that see it will never know whether I hand inked it or if I inked it on a digital vehicle. Like yeah. most people are not. So like at the end of the day, I had to let go of that. And it's exactly what you said. I bought the iPad when our second kid was coming because I was like, I got to be able to work more efficient. I'm going to have two kids. I can't just like, <laughs> I have to let go. So, and like, I'm so glad I did because it's made me kind of break down some of those barriers as far as like the comics and stuff. I'm the same way where like, I'm not a great writer, but now I can just like draw random doodle shit. And it just makes it easier. Cause you're not as like you were saying, like putting all that time into drawing something on a giant Bristol board, then driving it to be scanned. And then like, like having those parts out makes you be a little less precious about the words or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. The thing about being less precious about it 
And that's not even to say that like you start making less good quality work. For me, it meant that I could travel outside of like my comfort zone. Yeah, exactly. I fuck up. No big, no big deal. Mm -hmm. I'll press the backspace or like I'll have already saved another copy of it. And I'll go back to that turning point and take another turn and try something new with it. Exactly. Where before, like, man, if, if, if I didn't know it was for sure going to work out, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fuck around with it. Totally. At the moment where I'm like, I think this maybe should be done. I want to try this one thing, but if I fuck up this piece of Bristol board, I have to restart. I just wouldn't. No. And all of that experimenting is so much where growth comes from. So having access, yeah, to those tools where you can experiment and you do feel more free, like, holy shit, that that changed everything for me. I heard, I can't remember who it was, but it was an older comic book artist and he was describing about how like they would cut out Bristol pieces of Bristol board and do drawings and paste it over panels they didn't like. And like, why would anybody still do that if they could just fix it on a computer? And I was like, yeah, this guy, you know, he did it all the physical old school way. And he's like, yeah, don't be a dummy. Do it the smart way. Like, you know, if you can just erase something. But yeah, like the other day, I'm working on a comic right now for... Uh, my zine next month for Halloween. And I erased two whole panels that were fully inked and done and colored. I would have never done that. Like those panels would have yeah. lived in that book. If that was a physical piece of, because I'm like, I ain't redrawing all that. Like I, like I either that whole page is going in the garbage or like those, those panels are going in like somewhat out. So yeah. uh, I think there's something to that. Um, do you like, did you make zines and stuff growing up? Was that a part of your art that do you still oh, yeah. have any? Yeah, I do. I I don't think I have any handy. Yeah, I don't have any handy. But yeah, I made zines and I would do, I really like to cook. So I do like recipe zines with some comicking through it. That's Um, perfect. You should do that that again. You should just do a whole cookbook. Uh, I know. Yes, you should really do a cookbook, actually. I don't think I've ever seen. Yeah, that would be amazing. I've (laughs) I've been talking about it. And I I even put out a little like voting thing on Instagram. I was like, should I just do a cookbook? And everyone was overwhelmingly like, please, please do that. Do Uh, it. Yeah. No, that's definitely a project that I need to start thinking about again. I haven't thought about that in a second. I was like just, at the point where I was like, oh, I'm going to start doing this. And then something got in the way and I totally <laughs> lost track of it. But yeah, I should do a fucking cookbook. Totally. It's hard I though because it. I don't cook with recipes. Um, I just kind of like black out and like <laughs> let the smells guide me and then taste it in the end and be like, hey, it, it worked. See, um, that should be the whole book. You should just have all these different recipes with no recipes. It'll be yeah, like a, yeah. uh, a Zen thing or something. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. The first tool you need is a blindfold. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Do you have like, do you have that urge to make your stuff physical still? Like, is that a big urge for you as far as like producing artwork? Like I, I, you know, think a lot of people produce work that just lives digitally these days and i still feel like i don't know six months ago i bought a laser printer copy machine so i could print zines again because i'm silly and like i don't need to do that but i feel the need to put things out physically do you have that at all oh big time i i like i like tangible things so much so much better and like i was saying even with like the poor color process stuff by the time i get to the end like it's so different to experience it right there and like there's so much that you can't 
do digitally. And I love taking advantage of those things, especially with screen printing, like sticking some fucking like silver metallic ink (laughs) on there. Like you can't get that any other way. And, and experiencing that in person and, and experiencing someone experiencing your art in person without an algorithm controlling how that can happen (laughs) is also so important. If, If I was just stuck behind the algorithm and behind just what I could do digitally, I probably would have quit yeah. art by now. Cause it's not, it's not gratifying in the same way. Like, yes, all of the positive things that we said about doing it digital <laughs> before, but if, if, if I can take the time to use a brush and do something tactile that feels good to produce and have the natural experience of like, just interacting with the person face to face, like holy shit, that's that's what it's all leading up to. And all totally. of that digital shit has gotten it to a point where, like, now, like, I went out to Designer Con and and did that thing for the first time. It was my first like out of state festival last year, and like people actually like knew who the fuck I was, which was <laughs> unbelievable. And yes, digital things brought me there, but to see their faces, to be like, oh, yeah. whoa, this poster is fucking huge, and like you printed this with your hands, like you did each of these <laughs> things, each color individually, this many times, and it's it's just unbelievable. Nothing's ever gonna compare to that. Yeah. No, that's beautiful, and I think that is uh, absolutely dead on. There, there is something that's like, uh, there's something in the like one. One, I think there's something in the enjoyment you get out of making something being in that piece. Like if it feels better for the artist to use a brush and like that's going to live in there. It's kind of like that idea that like if you cook something for somebody and you're really happy, it's going to taste way better than if you're all pissed off and cooking it. And like, you know, it's like emotions. Emotions train with uh, brandy wine with the roasting and stuff. Like when we're looking for roasters, we don't give a fuck about people's coffee knowledge. We can teach them that. Like it's all about people that just want to do it and be happy. Well, like if you can be happy by roasting yeah. coffee, you're the person for us. Like we can teach you how to do the technical side of stuff. Like totally. I think there's something to that kind of weird thing. And yeah, I think you just touched on it very well. Do you to get into slightly weirder stuff? Like, do you ever think about as far as like where uh, the shit? It comes from like as far as like inspiration and like do you feel like you're ever tapping into stuff where you're just like where the fuck did that come from <laughs> like how did that come out oh yeah mostly i worry about it because i do take in so much like i'm i'm just always looking and i'm always like dissecting and sometimes i'm not thinking uh about it like in a way where i'm like i'm seeing this piece of art this person made it i'm seeing it in this place I'm more experiencing things in like a, wow, that those lines are really good. And like Mm -hmm. thinking about that and subconsciously I'm just absorbing portions of it. Um, But that can also be really dangerous because sometimes you'll think you came up with an idea, but you saw it four years ago because someone drew it and you appreciated (laughs) it, but you didn't file it away as you appreciating art. You filed it away as like just loving this craft and dissecting it. Um, so that's that's been scary and i haven't had anything happen yet where i've blatantly stolen anything from anybody (laughs) um but i've checked with people where i'm like this feels really close to like like i've messaged like burrito breath and been like yo did you draw something like this like am i fucking ripping you off and he was like no but even if you were you would approach it different so like don't worry about it 
Phil would never call you out about something like that. He's the sweetest person ever. But yeah, no, I know not everyone is. No, no. Like I've got a friend who accidentally ripped off a friend unbeknownst to him Mm -hmm. and had that door closed forever. Like they don't speak anymore. They're blocked. Uh, I'm not going to say who it is, No, but I also understand that. Like if you're a hustler and, and that's what you're doing to fucking like, that's your bread and butter. Oh yeah. Selling some t-shirts. Then if, if someone is maybe going to be ripping you off, whether or not they know it and they're doing it, like you gotta, you have to fucking close that door if you look at it that way. And I'm very lucky that I don't have to look at it that way. I don't want to have to look at it that way. (laughs) Um, uh, I don't know. I, I I've also closed that door on some people actually. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. And it's a door that needs to be closed sometime. I think there's like genuine things where there's shit that's just out in the like, uh, mass consciousness or whatever that people totally. pull down. But then there's things where you're just like, nah. And like, there's things where also like even like you mentioned the or we mentioned the pillowcase design that we did earlier and i did a play off of a very old uh fair uh trick-or-treat design right i looked for fucking days to find that artist's name and like all that's all the bestial or i don't know if that's how you say it but all those style vintage halloween decorations i can find the whole history of the company that produced those things starting in 1902 in pittsburgh pennsylvania uh, they started out as a calendar company. They went from calendars. They did Halloween decorations in 1930s for the first time. A uh, what's it called or 1920s a um, a fortune teller and a ball like a seance was the first one they ever produced. Sick. Nowhere in any of this do they credit any artist for any like who oh, yeah. made this shit. And I'm like, because like I wanted to give some. I like to give credit when I'm like you know just whatever after whatever like just putting their name out there and like it was impossible to find. And I was like, well, should I still do this? Even though I can't credit the original artist. Like I think about that stuff a lot and I'm just like, whatever, like people are going to get the reference and it's, if it was to be credited, I would, but it's not. And I bet whoever drew this is just stoked that people still care about what they drew in the afterlife or in the great unknown, wherever they are at this point. Um, But yeah, no, I, I get that for sure. In, in general, do you like, do you like, like when you're sitting down to come up with ideas, are you all the way, everything's off or do you have music on podcasts? What do you, what do you like to consume while you're actually like uh, working? Like generally music is on and I have, like two modes of, of finding and working through things. Um, I'll either have just like pure, you know, where you're just like possessed by an idea and suddenly you're like, holy shit. And you like, you can see it, you visualize it and you get almost everything about it. And it's just appears out of nowhere. Yeah, but it's where does not that come from, from? Out of nowhere. Like it, it's <laughs> it's somewhere, which is the scary part about those ideas, <laughs> right? Like it feels incredible, and then you start to be like, "Wait a minute this this has to have come from somewhere. Where is it coming from? Am I stealing this? Like like what is this?" Um, so I have that mode, and usually that comes like driving and listening to music, mm-hmm. or doing the dishes and listening to music. I I don't meditate. I I wish that I could, but. I have like pretty severe anxiety and that will just snowball. If I sit and I try to just be, it'll just be thought overlapping with thought and spiraling until it gets in the worst, most negative place. But if I am doing 
with my hands, anything really repetitive. I like used to crochet a lot or mow the lawn, or if I'm driving, anything where I can just zone out into repetition, um, then those ideas will just come like a fucking flood uh, or screen printing. Yeah. When I was screen printing uh, like every single night into like 3 a.m., preparing for Craft Lake City a couple months ago, that's where like all of the ideas for this October art show started finally showing up was in that repetition. And they would just occur. And I just had to have a notepad ready because as soon as they're there, they're also gone. Totally. Uh, and you just have to like try and capture them, write down your ideas really yep. quick and then sit and, and work them out. So I have that mode or, and this happens more often with like client stuff is um, just taking like, well, what do I know? Like, like uh, these people want like cowboys or something. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing that I know that I want to do with something like that? And I'll put that down and I'll react to what I have down and work forward, which usually ends up with like a lot of erasing, a lot of moving things, a lot of changing things. And it can be a really arduous process, but sometimes also comes out with like really cool stuff that you never would have gotten through like divine inspiration or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and and both are great. I I, I enjoy the first a lot more. <laughs> but damn, I've worked through some shit too. And when you have worked through something that was incredibly difficult and you get to the end and you like it, like that's really gratifying as well. And you feel Absolutely. like you fucking earned it. It feels yeah. like you it feels like you did manual labor, like you fucking waxed uh your shop floor <laughs> exactly for, for like a day and you stand and you like look and behind you you're like i can visually see all of the work that i just did totally and i earned this shit <laughs> dude absolutely and that second way i really feel like leads to accessing the first way more if that makes sense like the okay. more that you can hone that like second uh, set of skills i feel like the more you can tap into that first set of skills and yeah the or that first way of i don't know what i never know what to actually call it but i love that like and it's really consistent like the more i talk to different artists and musicians and stuff like everyone says the same thing like that's what they want all the time but it's not there and you have to do the other stuff yeah. to get there and that i'm glad totally. that it's probably better i mean if we lived in that uh divine inspiration mode all the time we'd be useless little puddles of goo <laughs> like that's just not a way in which you can function as a person in 2022 oh yeah have you ever yeah. worked on like a like a mural or like a really massive canvas or something mm -hmm. like that and just been in the zone for like days on end so oh, much yeah. that you feel like you don't need to eat you don't need to sleep because yep. you are just this painting coming to fruition like oh yeah nothing beats that no that, that is all, the best all of feeling. the bullshit makes it is worth it when yeah. you get that yeah. dude and i love that side of things for a bunch of reasons because not only do you feel that amazing feeling of like working through that progress and that like you have that end result to represent that time, but like it allows you to almost like experience, I don't want to call it like a paranormal experience, but you feel something that's supernatural. Like you're tapping into something that's like not something everybody gets to feel in this world. And that's really special. Totally. 
And I think it kind of, I think it does come from like a similar place as like paranormal phenomena and all of that. I think it's all the same shit. Yeah. Really. Like I think the totally. imagination and like. I'm so glad I, that you said that because <laughs> I, I feel the exact same way. I've always looked at it as like, like keeping yourself a sharp tool so that you can become a vessel for whatever that inspiration yeah. is that comes from the ether so that you can allow it to to come into our world absolutely and if, if you don't keep yourself sharp then like you can't do it and that yep. inspiration will disappear before you can like make it appear in our world that's beautiful and i feel exactly the same way i love i i probably talk about him on every episode but grant morrison is like one of my favorite people to talk about art in general and he has a very good riff in which he goes on about how artists are the last true magicians because they are creating these 2d worlds and these 2d things that will impact the 3d world in ways we never could see like the these things that like really move cultures and everything it is the arts it's the humanities it's not like yeah. science and stuff and i it's i forget fucking ai <laughs> yeah no dude <laughs> i forget about that shit sometimes and that's why i love i mean my two my whole idea with this podcast at first was to talk i have a big group of friends that are artists and a big group of friends that are some of them are like they would call themselves comparative folklorists or like people that study like all kinds of different supernatural phenomenon Ooh, and that's like, that's my other like i will send so my whole idea with this podcast because all those people in the paranormal realm they're all creative as fuck and are artists and musicians and do all this stuff but they would never say that they're like no we're in and then all of my artist friends are into weird shit they all love ghosts and psychics and like you know all all kinds of so i was like there's something to like the attractant of the both. So I just wanted to talk to people about both sides of things. And like, I lost really trying to hold to that format because formats are silly sometimes. And, uh, but I love like how there is just this really deep connection between whether you want to call it the paranormal or spirituality or any of that stuff uh, and imagination and creativity. And there's something special to that. Yeah. Yeah. There really is. Damn. I need to, I want to listen to a bunch of those because I've always I'll, like noticed that connection and it's sometimes hard to find people that you can talk to about it or ways to yeah. use language to describe it it's because like, hard. like everything that we were just talking about with like being a vessel that you just need to stay sharp for when it's there. Like it's, I, I've never like spoken with anybody about it because I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a feeling. And, um, but then you like meet people like you that are like into art or into coffee, because I feel like coffee and, and creating art, like you were just talking about, like is very, very similar. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. Cause I feel like artists in general, and especially the people I've been talking to recently, they are very gun shy as far as talking about the consciousness or the big imagine. Like they feel they're like, it sounds too pretentious or flu flu or like yeah, there's something yeah. too. And I get that. I totally have that. But at the end of the day, I'm like, that's kind of what I'm in it for. There is a dude that is probably my favorite guy that writes about like the paranormal and stuff like that. His name's Jeffrey Kripal. He's a religious studies professor at Rice University. And he's like one of the smartest dudes. He wrote this book called mutants, the mutants and mystics. And it's all about 
uh, essentially like Jack Kirby and the start of Marvel Comics on the East Coast. And he parallels that with like the humanist movement and the psychedelic movement of the West Coast and how the two are at after the same thing. They're just using different languages. And he goes into like so some of my favorite kind of paranormal weird stories are when artists just have these batshit ex- crazy experiences while making stuff. Um, do you know who Bernie Wrightson is? He was like the original uh-huh. illustrator. He did uh, Conan was what he was most known for. Okay. Um, yeah. He was the original illustrator on that. He did a bunch of horror comics. I'll send you some stuff you will really dig. Like if you're into the Hell pre-code yeah. stuff, he is one of the best to, to sling the dark ink for sure. Um, but he had these experiences where so the first one, he was sitting at his drawing table working on like a ridiculous marvel deadline he's inking a page and the page disappears from his drawing table and then his drawing table disappears and then he falls through the drawing table and lands in the scene that is in the studio he's in but at a different time and he doesn't know what's going on and then like he comes back he comes to at his drawing table and about six hours have passed he felt like it was five minutes, but it was six hours that he was having this experience of like being in a different time. And then two years later, he experienced what he saw during that whole episode. Like what he saw during that time slip came true two years later. And that was like the first of several experiences like that, where he like had these like essentially like psychedelic experiences through just tapping into like crazy amounts of creative energy because he was on like a 16 hour work bender for a Marvel deadline. So like he just like, and like people be like, oh, he was just exhausted and delusional. I'm like, yeah, fuck that. Like I know exactly exhaustion that does not lead to like time travel like there's something special that that dude tapped into so there's all these stories like that and or like my other favorite one is uh stories where characters from comics or stuff become real and whatnot like that's probably like like some real like oh like uh, the tale of the ghastly grinner from yes uh, are you afraid of the dark dude exactly dude so good and so uh, i just got goosebumps because you that is based off of this the Shadow was a fictional character created by uh, Walter Gibson, I believe his name was, for a uh, mystery radio show, I think. So he had experiences where the Shadow came to life and came into his apartment and would visit him, and he would have conversations. Cool. And it wasn't just like a figment. It was like a physical person that he he was like, this is a real thing. This is not just like my imagination. Like, this is like a real dude that's coming and instructing me on how to write this book. And like, he Whoa. like to the end of the, like, yeah. So essentially he believed that he made a tulpa that he made, like, because the shadow was so popular and so many people believed in it and he believed in it so hard, it became real and instructed his way to write the book, to write the series essentially. Damn, and that's awesome. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of incidences. Um, uh, man, why uh, Philip K. Dick is a big one. He like all of his stuff that he wrote, was before a lot of the stuff that's really famous was before his kind of uh, metaphysical experience. But he experienced this thing where he saw this big blue light and he called it Vallis. And Vallis was communicating all these ideas to him. And he always said up until he had that experience, he doesn't know where his ideas came from. And then after he had that experience, he's like, oh, they all came from this thing. I just didn't know it at the time. And like people thought he was losing his shit. Like he always had just he was always unstable in different ways and all kinds of but like people were like okay this guy's all the way gone now but like no he like 
he tapped into something and like created some of the I biggest works like a hundred percent like I, I think these I things didn't come read um like what what's the big one from philip k dick is uh they're uh the county ro- 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 robots counting electric sheep i can't remember it's something counting electric sheep right it's the one that yeah. uh blade runner is based on i'm so bad at this yeah. stuff because i haven't honest, read that i haven't I read like recently have been um listening to have you heard of x minus one no it's like a a 50s i think radio show and uh it's all sci-fi and there's a bunch of Philip K. Dick stories and there's a bunch of Ray Bradbury stories. Oh, I but love that. Specifically some, some Philip K. Dick actually and some Bradbury and some of the other ones. Like, not just are they phenomenal stories, but sometimes I'm just like, how the fuck did they, like, it's almost like they knew what was going to happen. Like yeah. you said, like, like they tapped into like this otherworldliness or like this connected consciousness or like time being a fucking loop and, and yeah. non-linear. There's a there's a fucking story on there where um, Bradbury is talking about this future and it's not like iPads and it's not TV, but it's it's an entity that that's like that that uh, sort of start it's it's a nursery where ah. when the children are in the nursery, whatever they want to see appears in the nursery and it's like they're there and eventually they start to. Um, like yearn for the nursery and the nursery replaces their parents and uh, becomes this manifestation that uh, wants to destroy the parents because uh, it's taken place of that. And I was like, yo, how the fuck did he predict not just that we would have these things like these screens like we do now, but also the pitfalls of them. Yeah, Like that is bonkers. And there's so many instances of that. And there's like so many small ones, like even the, I think they're pretty cliche now, but like all the stuff the Simpsons have predicted throughout their time on air and and things like that. I think there's some, whether it is, you know, time being nonlinear, I think that's probably true too, that our brains just kind of filter the time because we have to filter it this way. Like I do think that everything's probably already happened (laughs) several times, you know, like the, and we just kind of organize it. There's a, um, so that same dude, Jeffrey Kripo, that wrote that book about mutants and mystics, he has a way of looking at this stuff. And this is like way more academic than I know how to actually explain, but I love just the sound of the words, but he calls it dual aspect monism, where essentially like the earth is one and we are two. So like the earth is what it is, but we filter it to be all this other stuff. And we add all of this stuff because we have these weird you know, mush brains that have this giant connection to these things that we can't ever understand. So there's like this constant, uh, constant need to try and figure things out that we won't ever figure out. And that's kind of what's like so special about being humans. Like there's no, like, I like to look at it even from like a Bigfoot or like cryptids and that type. Like there's, I hope that never gets figured out. No one's ever going to figure that stuff out. And that's why it's so special. And even if they did, it wouldn't change like all of the super magic stuff that surrounds those creatures and those stories and the mythology. I think the stories and stuff are the most important part. And that's what like shapes these uh, experiences we have with imagination, if that makes yeah, any sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. In in thinking about all of that stuff and the way that, like, yeah, like you know, Simpsons predicting the future, or like old sci-fi, like so much old sci-fi, seeing like what we would have in the future, how it predicted that. I I've been like thinking about this this idea where 
you know, when something's going to happen or, um, or things are changing in your life and your, your thoughts will spiral and you'll start having like conversations, uh, with, with people that don't exist or people that do exist. And you're thinking about every single possibility of how something in your future can play out. I I'm starting to think that like sci-fi and things like that are human connected consciousness seeing almost what the future is going to be and all of the ways that it can play out and us just like taking all of that spiraling and putting it on paper and feeding it back to ourselves so that when we do come to meet the future that we're prepared for it because we've already imagined all of the possibilities of how it can go i love that so much i think that's beautiful yeah there's something to that that's you should draw a comic about that. <laughs> you no, should. I, you're you're so much better at that. I love you tell me that the pun idea. In it and, and I'll draw the pun <laughs> section. But. That's the part I'm bad at. I need I need more help with that. Um, no, I think you're absolutely onto something there. And I think that there is like a there's like a co-creation aspect to it. Like I think there really yeah. is, and not in the like super cheesy, like the secret way of like, you know, just believe in it and it's going to happen. Like it's not like, but there's like, you can shape your reality and there's a reason that you can shape your reality. And I think it has to do with how weird our consciousness is. Like, I really don't think our consciousness, like that voice inside our heads, I don't think it comes from inside us. I think it comes from outside and we're just kind of filtering it into us, if that makes sense. And doing an art has always been the way to figure that all out. Like that's like, it's like from day one, that's been like the way to kind of like, express these ideas that are unexpressible if that makes sense and like i i love like it's why i love halloween and the paranormal and all because there's this dude mike cleland who is a really he's an author he's an experiencer he has owl experiences which are some of my favorite things that uh he relates to a lot of different paranormal things but he said this one quote that i love that is if you're talking about aliens or the paranormal and you don't get into consciousness and the meaning of life within five minutes then you're doing it wrong like that's the point (laughs) of all this stuff like it's the point of this stuff is to not look at like why or how it's happening or not look at like how or the mechanism but the meaning behind it like why it's happening happening and like that type of thing and that that stuff is what really honestly that's what inspires me that's what keeps me going and that's why like i started doing this podcast so i could reach out to people that i find have really inspiring thoughts and like make inspiring things like yourself or like the people in the paranormal side of things like one of my good friends that i've made through this whole thing is a gentleman named vuk who lives in bosnia that's a biology he has a biology background and like he has he's just so smart and has so much to say about all of this that like i'll listen to him talk and just be like oh yeah i have like 30 drawings i can do from this one conversation with you and like that type of stuff and he's it's just all like wonder you know that feeling when you like get goosebumps when you watch like your first episode of pete and pete and you're like that's the feeling i want forever like i find it harder to get that feeling from like uh culture these days if that makes sense like i find hard to like really find like tv shows that like i have modern tv shows i like and stuff but like i don't find really yeah that like really much more see and i'll have people like try to be like oh man, things were like better in the sixties, whatever. And like, I couldn't disagree more. I I like the aesthetics from then, but I think that right now we're an incredible time for stories. Like, um, 
things like uh what what is that one have you have you watched midnight gospel oh yeah i love it i'm a huge duncan trussell fan so yeah totally no like yeah we never would have had that in the 60s like yeah the art style right now is like not super duper my thing but like the stories that we're getting right now are oh they're beautiful no and the content out there there's so much there and i think what i was getting at is that like it's hard to feel things that hard as like the things you encounter when you're like 14 or like, to, you know, when you first find that show that speaks to you and like you fall yeah. in love with, like it's harder to feel that way uh, again for me for whatever reason. And like, I still, I think you're right. Like in general, culture is way better and story is like, oh my God. Like, yeah, like definitely we're at a golden time as far as just like, I, I feel that analysis paralysis when I sit down and try and pick out something new because there's so much i want to watch and so much that like i don't know where to start yeah but uh but it's still like i have trouble and maybe it's just uh nostalgia uh, nostalgia but i have trouble like getting that same place or getting to that same like goosebumpy feeling all the time but the why did i even start talking about that Rob? oh because we were talking about because there's certain instances of like these uh paranormal things that give me that same feeling where i'm like oh that ring that like resonates really true and rings like gives me those goosebumps that i don't normally get as much anymore and oh, that's yeah. like that's what kind of got me back into this side of things more than anything and i think it's super interesting like Having kids now, that's probably also why I don't consume nearly enough media because mostly what we watch are kids shows these days or my kids really into science YouTube shows. So we watch lots of science YouTube shows, which is that's cool. Super cool. Super cool. I'm learning a lot that I probably should have known a long time ago. <laughs> and like we we just get a lot of screaming gamers. <laughs> Ooh, so there you go. Um, I don't, not I don't, super my thing. One thing I'm realizing now with my kid uh, and being more around other kids is we are not a video game household, but man, kids love video games. I was just never super into video games, so he's not mm. really exposed to them. So I don't know oh, what okay. it'll be like when he is, gets exposed, but we were at his friend's birthday party the other day and all he wanted to do was play video games and teddy's like don't you just want to like run around outside and like you know do all the other stuff and this kid's like no video games only i'm like oh yeah that that like sucks people in so i'll be interested to see what happens when teddy gets exposed (laughs) but yeah right now it's all science youtube shows and he wants to be a nasa engineer so it's lots of space stuff that's really cool super fun and like definitely wonder inducing in a whole nother way like one of those things that you're just like oh yeah science is really cool (laughs) there's a lot there's a lot to be said for all of that stuff for sure um man i just lost where we got to there but that's okay because i think actually the last two things i wanted to ask you before we wrap this up because i just looked and we've been going for almost two hours now which is awesome oh sick (laughs) yeah right i was like wow that i didn't didn't even realize it but one what do you think as far as like what goes on when we go bye-bye like what do you uh what do you think as far as death and stuff and what what happens or if you have any thoughts at all that's just something i like to ask people these days (laughs) damn um i don't know so like it's weird because we we just talked about like all of this i mean you know kind of spiritual shit yeah but i I'm definitely like an atheist, mm-hmm. but an atheist that believes in like 
uh, weird, like beyond the veil kind of totally. thing. And I, I believe in ghosts and I believe in spirit in spirits and I, I believe in spirituality. So I wouldn't say I'm like a traditional, like I, I'm not a, I'm not a big science person. I'm not like a, a science atheist where it's like, you can't prove it <laughs> via science. So it's not true. Like that ain't it for me. Um, I just don't think it is that all the pitches that we've gotten yeah. But Absolutely. I think that there is plenty that we don't understand. Um, yeah, let me think. Where where am I at with with death right now? There there was a little bit ago where I was having a lot of panic attacks thinking about death. Like when you conceptualize, um, I think especially as an atheist, not having all of the answers and can try to conceptualize not being anymore, which is impossible you can't conceptualize what it would be like to not be um and that would just freak me the fuck out but uh i i kind of think that that i don't know you you know how you were talking about how you like create art or you create food or you can pour a latte with like love Mm -hmm. or or happiness or whatever and it's uh like this transference of energy I believe that all the the little things that make up who we are 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 also transferred. Like when when we rot out of the coffin and go into the blades of grass, like sometimes, you know, you'll just like lay in a bunch of blades of grass and you're like overwhelmed with like these feelings or you're overwhelmed with like the those thoughts that came out of the ether where you're just like yeah. fucking idea, idea, idea. Mm-hmm. And you're like, where did this come from? Like, maybe that's what we are. Maybe that's what we move on as is like this sort of divine inspiration from beyond the veil. Um, and, and for me, that also explains like, like ghosts, um, yeah. uh, that, that very, uh, again, like going back the, the, the Japanese idea of, um, of emotion being so big in an area um, that it stays trapped and mm-hmm. it keeps echoing for a very long time. And so because time is nonlinear, we're experiencing it uh, when we like go into a room where like someone was murdered in like a, a brutal way and you just get this chill um, because that energy was so great that it's like stuck there until it peters out. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that we could live on in all of those ways. I don't know how we experience consciousness. I don't think it's going to be the same where um, all of my thoughts and being are together in one place. I think that we're going to be experiencing the vastness of it all, uh, of all experience all at once. Um, like like how when you take mushrooms and it is... Um, all, all of the barriers that make you like understand the world and these narrow concepts start to be pulled up and suddenly mm. you are pure emotion and oh, you yeah. are pure thought and you're like imbibing it all without filter. I think that that is going to be what being dead is like that you just become emotion, not experience emotion yeah. or you become energy rather than experience energy. That's beautiful. I really love that. And I, I resonate with all, all of that. <laughs> I think that's one of the, you, you put that very well. Like it's, it's 
I ask a lot of people that these days and you can tell when people haven't thought about it, <laughs> you can tell like <laughs> there's one or two I've cut it out of because I'm like, I didn't mean to put that person on the spot. I feel bad now. <laughs> and like <laughs> I've shit. actually, I've stopped asking some people because I can kind of get a vibe these days. I'm, I'm not good at interviewing people. I don't um, do that, but I'm like. Very I'm, much disagree with that. <laughs> oh, You're, thank you. You are by far the best interviewer that I've ever experienced. And, <laughs> I just had a fucking interview a little bit ago and it was like hell. And I had <laughs> another experience a few months before that and it was also like hell. So well, thank you for being a very good interviewer. Well, thank you for being a wonderful person to talk to. I mean, that was, I, I don't even want to ask the last question because that was such a nice way to, uh, <laughs> to, to end it. And like, I love the idea of it being like recycled energy that makes creativity like i think that's gorgeous like that we rot into the earth to become beautiful pictures again like that's that's beautiful i hope that's what happens like <laughs> i love that i and I, i'm, I'm glad like, i conveyed it in some way because i've never verbalized it well it um, sounds like you had so you did that was beautiful and i i love i mean i am also uh, i would call myself somewhat of an atheist i have no particular mm -hmm. like i i have no particular affiliation i love the uh robert anton wilson view to maintain agnosticism at all time like believe in nothing cool. yeah. and, like believe in everything but believe in nothing and like his whole thing was to try out everything and see what it's like and figure like you know maybe maybe you want to just figure see what this reality tunnels like for a little bit and then see what this one's like and like don't live in anything because that's where stuff that uh what's called the solidity is where things become a problem like when people aren't willing to change their minds and that like where religion yeah. becomes a problem or spirituality it's when people say no my way's right and your way's wrong and like that's just not anytime you hear that it's like nope I'm turning it off now like i love yeah I love the openness, but yeah, that was beautiful. And so I'm going to ask the last question anyway, just because I have to <laughs> now. <laughs> and so what is your favorite fast food meal? Oh, I'm, I'm a burger baby. hundred percent. I've all the way. I'm so happy that there's veggie burgers that um, know. are so good. Uh, just all over the place now. Did you get to try um, the big plant? Yeah. I No, Have you had it yet? No, it's not out here. I didn't know if you were one of the markets they tried it out. I should check again because I know that they have changed the markets. Yeah. Uh, do you, are you also veggie? I am not all the way, but for the most part, definitely from, okay, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm, uh, I was, uh, my, so Allie totally is a hundred percent plant-based at this point. And with the kids, we've kind of gone back to getting a little bit more into it just cause it's easier, uh, for yeah. health reasons and stuff. And it was easy until the four, three and four, once they start becoming exposed to other people's eating habits and like demanding things that they get at friends' house. And it's like, oh yeah. yeah. I so we've dipped our toes back in some meat stuff, but we'd probably like not. I think that's cool. Yeah. And I, I hello respect that for you. Um, I, I'm at a point. So I, I was vegan for like a good 20 years. Mm -hmm. And then, um, it was actually on, on the, I keep bringing it back around to that trip to Japan, but it, it was really, really life-changing for me. But on that flight, um, they offered me fish and I had it and it, it was wild and also a very different experience than like growing yeah. up and eating meat 
and you know, like you're growing up and you're eating meat and suddenly you start to realize that this is a pig and you're like, Oh, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> whoa. Like, like you say fish, but like, you mean like an animal fish, like a living thing yeah. fish. So reapproaching it with, with this, um, I guess this like spirituality and this respect for, for what I'm eating and what it went through to become nourishment for me and to be again, that like recycled energy. Uh, I did have fish and I do still have fish and will occasionally have eggs and milk. But outside of that, uh, mainly vegan, it just works better for my body. Ethically, I feel I still agree with 100% veganism. It's Um, the way. There's no argument for the other. It's why I, yeah, no, it's one of those things that it's like, yeah, it's, there's no way to argue the other way at this point, especially when when you get into, I mean, yeah, I think blades of grass have souls so i can't argue that a chicken or you know like like that that is it's so one of my favorite weirdo groups of people right now is called liminal earth and they have i don't know exactly how to explain this but they have contracted or invented this thing in which allows this plant to communicate with them up to about 50 words or so or something along those lines and it asked they asked the plant what vegans should eat and you know what the plant said? What? Air. <laughs> <laughs> that's so sick. And oh I was God. like, okay, that's amazing. And that's like the best thing I've ever heard. But yeah, no, I, uh, once you get into like really thinking about that stuff, it's hard to uh, live a normal life or a typical American lifestyle. Like, I think it's really good that most people are at least thinking about cutting back and like, doing more plant-based stuff for sure but yeah it's big time and i think at least just having an awareness of of what you're doing and its repercussions and Mm -hmm. and what you're putting into your body is like so important because like yeah yeah, i'm I'm not vegan anymore and also like i i was straight edge for 10 years and and i don't regret any of that time and i don't disagree with any of that time but i think that that the biggest impact for me is just having an understanding of the the repercussions of the, the things that I do with my body, what I put yeah. in my body, what I'm taking from the world, um, and what I'm putting back into the world is like, that was the biggest takeaway with all of it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I feel great about that. And I, I still feel conflicted when I uh, eat fish, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I still, I don't know, like you were saying with like, like your kids going to their friend's house and they experience something there. Um, you wouldn't want to take away that experience of them, like sharing chicken nuggets with their fucking other friend, because, um, sharing in those things is like so massive in, in our, our experience as humans and limiting that. Uh, with hard limitations can be so stifling to your experience as a human, as good as it may be, like ethically, um, eventually you've got to just like decide which one outweighs the other. I feel, I think about this a lot as a dad, like I had so many things to push up against. You know, I was raised Catholic, 
early on was like, nope, this ain't right. Pushed up against that. I was very, like, yeah. there was some, I'm not raising my kids with any of that stuff. Like, what are they going to push against? Like, I should be careful what I push on them because there's going to be pushback. And if I'm like trying to do these things, like I have to remember that they need to come to these ideas on their own and they can't like, yeah. and the other thing that relates to what we were talking about before, I am in the camp of like, 90% nature at this point. Like pe- we come out the way we are. Like we are like there was someone totally. really s- smart talking about this, but it's like our culture does a disservice looking at kids as not fully grown cuz you come out fully grown, you just grow into what the culture needs you to be in different ages. But like my 5-year-old is who he was when he was 1 and my 17-month-old yeah. is completely different and i like, there's no changing these people they are who they are and that's amazing and they're beautiful yeah. and like like i think most of the rubs come when you try to change that and like just not get out of the way and let them be the beautiful little wild monsters they are <laughs> yeah no yeah. i i totally agree like living with with my partner and her kid and like seeing pictures of him when he was like a baby and he like makes the same like face like a disapproving face like Mm -hmm. he does now that he's 11 you're like holy shit like you were always like the same person and like you you can guide that in certain ways and it's like anything like um i don't know like whether it's like astrology uh things that you feel are innate to you because of your astrological sign or things that are innate to you because it's just part of your personality that you're born with, like you can recognize those things, but have completely different ways of working with them. Um, Like they don't have to be a shortcoming. It can be used as like a way to, to, to bloom in ways that you never would have had you been born with other things. Anything that you have that's innate to you can either be a shortcoming or like, a huge positive that makes you, I don't know, just special in, in your own certain ways. I, this is the second time you've given me goosebumps tonight because <laughs> yeah, it's really um, parsing the difference between like, like, yes, your kid is different and special and all kids are different and special in their own way, but they do have to interact in this world where people, where there are yeah. certain expectations and you need to be this like buffer of like, well, how, how can they keep, living in that world that expects this of them um and how can i foster this like special part of them but still allow them to like be okay like when i uh, when i'm not there like being that buffer between them and the world they need to be able to interact purely with the world and have that be okay so i i get what you're saying because you don't want to stifle the way that your child speaks and communicates and that that shit is like so important. It's really you, you talk good. <laughs> you just you, you just uh, nailed it. No, that's exactly the way Dude, I feel. Have you man. ever? Um, I, I feel like I always talk about this fucking book, but it made such a big impact on me. Have you ever read any Gaston Bachelard? No. He's a a French uh, scientist, philosopher, and poet okay. from the mid century. But he's a prime example of what you're talking about. So the French school system is really, really rigid. And if you're going through it, it's it's like you said, like when you train your brain to communicate a certain way, 
you're also training your brain to think in certain ways. Mm -hmm. So he grew up on a farm, not within the French school system and was completely homeschooled until he decided that he was going to go to college and pursue all of that and pursue science. But because his brain wasn't trained by the French school system, the first science book that he wrote was about fire but not like fire and how it works, but how fire thinks. Ooh. Um, and he went on to write this book that was massively impactful for me called The Poetics of Space. And it's I've just heard about of this. Yeah, yeah. Spaces, how we interact with them and how spaces interact with us and how they shape us. And it fucking like it it changed my life in all oh. in all honesty. Like reading about him talking about like dresser drawers to talking about shells and inside shells and the vastness within inside of shells. And then really impactful for me as, as a child who I said moved every one to two years growing up, he talks about having a childhood home that is not just physical, but is with within you and how you go to the cellar for like your deep, dark thoughts and exploring the unknown and you go to the attic to like think and reminisce and go through your parent your grandparents old clothes and history but exploring those spaces not just physically but mentally and it was just like dude like i've fucking read that book three times and it kills me every fucking oh, time <laughs> i'm gonna have to read that now i wonder one of my favorite paranormal thinkers has the saying where it's monsters in the basement ghosts in the attic because you keep your okay. like yeah you keep your deep dark like feelings in the basement and then you keep all your memories and all those things that haunt your life and you're at it and up in your brain that's wow i wonder if that's i again uh, that is a uh, goosebump inducing sir that was uh that's beautiful i'm gonna have to <laughs> check that out um yeah that's awesome i don't even know how we got there off of a question about fast food but i fucking love it <laughs> that was beautiful Dude. um just burgers yeah. and vibes man i don't burgers even <laughs> and vibes i love it that's awesome well i am going to wrap this up here because if not i feel like we're going to start talking and go for another hour and you know the one thing that's weird about podcasting i never thought about is the whole editing thing and man Oof. it's definitely like well what's nice is i don't edit much so like besides those little bleeps and bloops that i'll have to cut out like i don't i don't really care about like paul you know stuttering or ums and ahs i leave all that shit in because that's just oh nice I yeah like, i like it better when you hear people kind of forming their thoughts and i don't write questions down before these things or anything i just kind of go and uh, those two questions i asked the only two questions i've ever like formally had in my brain for any of this <laughs> oh hell yeah so, cool yeah so well, thank dang, you dude you have good fucking questions well i'm glad you like them we'll definitely should do this again sometime and i mean if you ever want to just come on and bullshit with me, feel free to ask because I love doing this and I yeah, always, always into revisiting some fun stuff. I actually, I think one of the things I want to start doing is I take notes on like while we're talking and stuff and I want to start putting together a little zine of all the notes from the interviews I do with the, and have like essentially commission you to do a piece of artwork to go next to the notes so it'd be like these are my notes for my interview with robin and here's an illustration he did next Yo, to it and put out sick. a put out have a little you, zine of them all have you ever read the comic zine conversations 
Oh, it's one of my favorites. One of my favorites. The little blue, well, there's a couple, there's a couple of them, right? Like the one that I'm thinking of is with James Kachulka and And um, Craig Thompson. Craig Thompson. It's one of my favorites, actually. Unbelievable. I don't keep much as far as like comics out and accessible, but I keep that one on my dresser like that. And yeah. James Kachoka has got two that because I, I keep that and I keep the cute manifesto around me all the time because oh, do you, awesome. you ever read the cute manifesto? It's his I whole. So it's this whole anti-craft book. It's James Kachoka. It's a little graphic novel and it's all about like his struggles with never feeling like he could draw well enough to produce comics and produce stories and getting over that hump of being like, you don't have to be Wally Wood or any of these amazing artists. You can just make your own thing your own way. And it was like his, I think he wrote it before American Elf blew up. I think it was like right before all that stuff like really hit. Um, So he still, he has like a chip on his shoulder about the whole thing, which is nice. I like it. (laughs) I like when artists come from that place sometimes where there's just like fuck it just make stuff like that's my favorite yeah that's the whole the whole point of that book so yeah real good one totally i love that absolutely cool well robin tell people where to find your stuff or anything that you want to find i'm going to put links to whatever you would like in this but yeah if there's anything you want to tell people about now's the time damn i'm just kind of on instagram i'm at ramen banks that's ramen like the food banks um on instagram I keep that most updated. I've got like a Twitter floating out there and a (laughs) TikTok floating out there, but I'm not super on top of those. And then I don't know, I have a web store, but that you can find that through my Instagram. That's not important. (laughs) I'll put a link to it anyway, because there's lots of pretty stuff people should buy. Um, Thank you. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you for doing this. This was super fun. I never know. It's funny because it's like you're probably the fourth person I've done this with without ever talking to them outside of uh, the internet. And it went like even better than I could imagine. So thank you for being so wonderful. Yeah, this went so well. Yeah, it was so nice. Just like uh, just like chatting with you. Um, It felt super really, I don't know, went to some weird spots. That was sick. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if it's still on the table, if it can happen in the future, but uh, the mural you were talking about over at Brandywine, yes. it would love be to fly so you. sick, mainly just to like get to vibe out with you for a few days. Absolutely. And maybe I could show you some like CMYK process pruning. Hell yeah, dude, we're going to make this happen. Uh, I'm in, we're talking about budgets for uh, the 2023 time right now. And we don't, we've never done like marketing or anything like there's like a marketing thing under there, but there's no, we don't. So I'm going to be like, let's do it this year. Let's do it by just putting on art events. Like let's just fly in some of these people that are working with us. And you are on the top of that list. So I'm really trying to make that happen. You could DJ, we could do a whole thing. It would be amazing. Oh, that'd be so fun. I'd love that. Dude, I didn't even get into, so I love girl groups and 60, like all of this stuff. I didn't know that. No, I, we, that's a whole nother rabbit hole in which we should go. So growing up, my dad only had two records in the house, the animal house soundtrack and the crystals, uh, which wrote the, uh, it was a collection. I can't remember what it's called now, but I can picture it so good. Yeah. He only listened to like girl groups and doo-wop and like, that was his stuff. So it was in my brain from a young age for sure. And then like, oh, that's I re- awesome. 
refound it through probably the way most people do from our background as far as the Ramones and Phil Spector and going through Ronnie Spector, etc. And then yeah. be like, oh, there's a million amazing girl groups. Like that's all Joey Ramone wanted to be was a girl group. I get it now. <laughs> like it makes so much sense. <laughs> but yeah. Yep. Uh, we should have a whole nother Seriously, conversation so about all that. that connection. Yeah, it really is. It's oh, my, yeah, we my should. favorite. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I'm going to let you go because I'm just going to keep coming up with more stuff to talk about. Okay, cool. <laughs> all right. Let's talk well, soon. Yeah, definitely. Don't actually go. I'm going to hang up. But don't actually go. All right. Bye. Yeah.